Welcome to Encouraging Truths for Today. We're glad to bring you this message from First Baptist Church in Crockett, Texas. Now please join us as we learn to grow deeper in our relationship with God and each other. From an early age, if you spend much time in church, you're taught to pray in the name of Jesus. Sadly, over time, that can lose its meaning for us, can it? Because to pray in the name of Jesus is not just a way to sign off in prayer, but it's a way to keep our focus on Him and His objectives and His purpose and His character. Because apart from Him, we have no access to God. Apart from Him, we receive nothing from the Father. And so when we pray in Jesus' name or in Christ's name and for his sake, we are saying that with all that's within us, we have sought to pray in keeping with the person and the character of Jesus Christ. So I hope that that would not ever lose its meaning in our lives. So I want us to think of another phrase in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 18 that is somewhat of a synonym or a synonymous statement with praying in the name of Jesus, and that is the phrase praying in the Spirit. We've been uh, looking at Ephesians six eighteen at various phrases that we find in that sentence, praying always with all prayer and supplication. Today we talk about in the Spirit. Now, why would I say that that is a somewhat synonymous phrase with praying in the name of Jesus? Well, we are told in Scripture that the Holy Spirit's purpose for coming is to exalt the person of Christ. He is one given by the Father for us in our lives to inhabit us as believers one who is just like Christ. Uh, We refer to the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But if you're praying in the Spirit, that means your whole focus is on the person of Christ. The person of Christ is the focus of everything the Holy Spirit does in our lives. He magnifies Christ. He brings things to remembrance that Christ has said. He draws people to Christ. He convicts people of their need for Christ. He convicts us of sin in regard to returning to Christ who died for us. The Holy Spirit puts his focus on the person of Christ. So to pray in the Spirit is somewhat synonymous with praying in the name of Jesus. But I want us to dig a little deeper into that today to see perhaps a new level of prayer that is available to us. Not something that's mysterious and and mystic, but something that's very practical and very accessible in our lives to pray in the Spirit. So let's look at our Bibles today to Ephesians Chapter 6, 
verse 18. You'll recall just prior to this, we have been commanded to suit up in the armor of God, and we enter into the battlefield of prayer, it says in verse 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Let's pray together. Father, we we recognize today that we enter your presence at the high cost of the blood of Jesus on our behalf for our sin. But it's through the shedding of his blood and the offering of himself as our sacrifice that you opened the way for us to come to you in his name. And we do so by the the guidance and the power of your Holy Spirit. And so, Father, today in the atmosphere of that relationship that, that you have graciously provided, it's our prayer that that your Holy Spirit would illuminate this passage for us. These simple but profound words that point to the depths of what it means to know you. So Father, would you please speak to us from your word? Because I recognize, unless you do, this is just a religious ritual and I have nothing at all to say but by your Spirit. I have much to say under his anointing. And we pray this in the powerful and precious name of Jesus and under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Amen. It would be foolish for me to try to convince you that I know every need represented in this room. I I don't. I perhaps am not even aware of all of my own needs. But I could venture with great confidence to say that I know the greatest need everyone in the room has. Your greatest need and my greatest need is to know God. Not just to know about God, Knowing about God helps us to know Him if we do it with the right desire and focus, but our our greatest need in our lives is to know God. And that way has been made for us by the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. He has made a way for us to know Him. Now, will we ever fully know and comprehend God? No. We will never be able to grasp the, the height of his holiness or the, the levels of his love that are beyond us. We, we will never be able to fully grasp and comprehend God because he's God and he's beyond our finite minds. But our greatest need is to know him and to connect with him. So I don't know what your circumstances are. I don't know what your needs are. I don't know what your challenges are, your problems, your past, your present, your future. But I do know regardless of what you're facing, 
or what you're going through, your greatest need right now is to know God in an intimate, personal way. And this simple phrase emphasizes the fact that that is possible. So let's look at this phrase in Ephesians 6, 18. Praying in the Spirit. First of all, I want to suggest that to pray in the Spirit is to bring blessing into the battle. To pray in the Spirit is to bring blessing into the battle. If you were, as a believer, to take the time to review your walk with God up to this point, perhaps some of the times you reached the greatest intimacy with God was in the midst of a spiritual battle. You understood how helpless you were without Him. You understood your great need for His empowering and the giving of His wisdom, whatever it might have been, but it was there that He met you in that battle with great blessing, and the connection to that blessing is praying in the Spirit. To pray in the Spirit is to bring blessing into the battle. It doesn't take long to realize, does it, that the battle is beyond our control and our capability in life. The spiritual battle is not something that we are completely wired to withstand on our own. And there's no way we are capable of controlling it or withstanding a spiritual onslaught in our lives. And that's why it's so important to look at things like Ephesians 6. That's why it says in verse 10, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. He's saying it's beyond your control and capability. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. He's saying with this armor, you can withstand anything Satan throws at you. But the opposite is true. Without this armor, you are completely vulnerable to every attack that Satan brings. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. It is a spiritual battle, he emphasizes. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. So he says, if you take up the whole armor of God, you'll be able to stand. The opposite is true. If you do not take up the whole armor of God, every vital piece that's described here after what we just read you have no hope of standing. You will fall and you will fail. But having gone through the spiritual armor, he gives us the key, and the key here is praying in the Spirit, because to pray in the Spirit is to bring God's blessing into the battle. You see, spiritual warfare must be waged in the power of the Holy Spirit. If you look at that list in verse 12... And, and you, you just look at it completely objectively. Would that not be intimidating to face that just by yourself? I mean, just think of all the attacks that you receive even now on your mind to distract you or discourage you. All the things that might go on your mind 
through those spiritual battles that are being waged at you or the the guilt and shame that you feel in your heart that is roaring there because these evil spirits are are attacking or whatever. I'm saying we, we shouldn't be consumed with all of that. We should be controlled by the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit can bring great victory in our lives. Think about that scene of David facing Goliath. You know why everybody was so afraid for David? They were comparing David's size to the size of Goliath. And David didn't stand a chance. But David was not doing that. He was comparing Goliath's size to the size of God, and Goliath didn't have a chance. That's the perspective here in Scripture. This is a spiritual battle that must be waged in such a way that the Holy Spirit is is leading the way and guiding us. It's got to be His battle for Him to bring His blessing. But when you are in a spiritual battle because of your commitment to Christ and you're facing that challenge that is trying to remove your faith or shatter the foundation of your life and, and push you into a type of despair, you can trust that the Holy Spirit is prepared to bring His blessing of power and authority into that battle. That's exciting, isn't it? So we need to stop comparing ourselves with, with the battle that we face. Yes, it could be overwhelming. The, the spiritual attack is incredibly awesome, but our God is greater, and the personal Holy Spirit indwells us to fill us and to fuel us for that battle. So that's the first thing I want to encourage you with today. When you think about praying in the Spirit, uh, it's giving us a picture of the fact that to pray in the Spirit is to bring blessing into the battle. What if it just stopped at verse 17? Just think about that. If, if that's how Ephesians 6 ended, and take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Whoa, what do I do now? Wait a minute. I, do I just stand here? What? Well, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. It, it's not your battle, it's His. Let's look at a second thing that can encourage us from that phrase. To pray in the Spirit is a spiritual relationship with God that is initiated and empowered by the Holy Spirit. You see, sometimes we think, well, one day I decided to come to Christ. And when I decided to come to Christ, I prayed a prayer I committed my life to Christ, and now I'm kind of left on my own to do what I can for Him. That is completely false, isn't it? God drew you to Himself by His Holy Spirit, and His Holy Spirit convicted you of the need for Christ. And you were drawn to Christ and turned from sin to Christ by that conviction of the Holy Spirit. And then you were not just born of water physically, but now you've been born of the Spirit, the Bible says. He birthed you in a spiritual sense, 
And at that moment, you were baptized by the Spirit into the body of Christ. You were ushered into the presence of God as His child through the sacrifice of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. And then that's where that relationship begins to blossom. And the Apostle Paul talks about it in two different contexts. One of those is in a fee, um, Romans chapter 8. If you turn to Romans chapter 8, he talks about this, this wonderful relationship with him through Christ by the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. Let's look at a variety of verses here. First of all, verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded or focused on the flesh is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, now if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. He does not belong to Christ. And if Christ is in you through the person of the Holy Spirit, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. But, but then it goes on. Look at verse 12. Therefore, brethren, we are not debtors. We are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God or the children of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. You see the picture there? The flesh and the spirit waging war against one another. Then you give your life to Christ, and, and all of that regeneration, that rebirth happens by the Holy Spirit, and you come into the presence of God, and, and there is a crying out in your heart that dwells there, that, that cries out, Father. You have come to know your heavenly Father. You, you've come to know the one who, who created you, the one who has called you, the one who has guided your life thus far, but now in his grace begins to shape you as a new creation in Christ Jesus. Do you remember that moment when you came to Christ and the Holy Spirit took up residence in you and and, and it was that, that relationship with God now where you could call him Father. Still distant in his holiness, but 
a closeness in his grace and his love. We can cry out, Abba, Father, and it's the Holy Spirit, the spirit of adoption that gives us that privilege of calling him Father. Here's what Charles Spurgeon says. Dear friends, have you ever tried what it is to perform any spiritual act apart from divine power? What a dull, dead affair it becomes. What a mechanical thing prayer is without the Spirit of God. It is a parrot's noise and nothing more. What do parrots do? They just say what they've heard others say. They, they just say things, and, and people get mad at a parrot if they insult them, but they're just saying something they heard someone say. Just think about that image of our prayers just being a parrot noise without the divine empowering of the Holy Spirit. It's so easy to just turn and start talking to God and use the right words, but, but your heart not be in it. But if, if the Holy Spirit is, is guiding you in that prayer to the Father, then there's that, that parental, that desire you have for that parental outpouring of His provision and His, His presence in your life. And you're, you're crying out, Abba, Father, Father, I, I need you. Not just, Father, please do this and, and da 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 da. No, no, no. It's it's Father. It, it, it's it, it's the difference in me in a waiting room filled with people, and they call out the name Mister Dickinson, and I look for my dad because I'm too young to be Mister Dickinson. But if I'm, in my, if I'm in a room filled with people and one of my boys is there and they say, Dad, there's a difference there, isn't there? It's not just a, a parent's cry. It's a, a parent's heart responding to the cry of a child. And so if, if you are in Christ... You can pray in the Spirit, but if you are not in Christ, you cannot pray in the Spirit. But once you are in Christ, the Bible says here the Spirit of adoption causes you to cry out, Abba, Father, just that, that tender expression. And haven't you found that that changes a whole situation? In the midst of tragedy and trauma, have you not seen it, your heart cry out, Father, Everything changes, not about your circumstances, but about the inner sense of well-being because of that spirit of adoption that cries out, Abba, Father. He says it again in Galatians chapter 4. It's in the context of why Christ came and how he came. A beautiful picture here of the triune God at work in our lives. It says in verse 4 of Galatians 4, but when the fullness of the time had come, 
God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. The the communion and the the cooperation of the triune Godhead working together to, to bring you into the presence of this holy God to where you could cry out, Abba, Father, what a beautiful picture that is. This is how William Gurnall describes it. Christ is the door that opens into God the Father's presence and lets the soul into His very closeness. Faith is the key that unlocks the door but the Spirit is He who both makes this key and helps the Christian to turn it in prayer so as to get access to God. To pray in the Spirit is a spiritual relationship with God that is initiated and empowered by the Holy Spirit. You see, your greatest need right now is not to conquer this problem you have. Your greatest need is to connect with the God that you love and serve. That's your greatest need. And Satan wants to cut out that communication, doesn't he? He wants to either destroy it or distort it to where it's just a rehearsed, rote performance rather than a real relationship with God. But to pray in the Spirit is to do so in the context of a spiritual relationship with God initiated and empowered by the Holy Spirit. But then there's another thing that even is uh, greater. To pray in the Spirit is a Spirit-guided journey toward the mind, heart, and will of this triune God. It is a Spirit-guided journey toward the mind, heart, and will of God. You see, to pray in the Spirit, we must walk in the Spirit. What does that mean? Well, we're commanded in Galatians 5.16 to walk in the Spirit that we should not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. It's a command. We either walk in the flesh or we walk in the Spirit. Just like in Romans 8, it talked about the battle there. But when you walk in the Spirit... It keeps you from fulfilling the lust of the flesh because you're under His control and His guidance. But in order to pray in the Spirit, you've got to be walking in the Spirit to do that. But uh, the flip-flop is true. The opposite is true, and that is to walk in the Spirit, you've got to pray in the Spirit. Everything about your life has to be in step with the Holy Spirit. He has to be guiding you and shaping you and directing you and and protecting you, everything about that relationship, just leaning into a trust relationship with that triune God in this spirit-guided journey toward the heart, will, and mind of God himself. So there in Galatians chapter 5, you find uh, this picture of walking in the spirit, which I think enhances and erupts from praying in the spirit. Verse 16 says, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, 
and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. Have you ever found yourself in that dilemma? The dilemma described in verse 17, also in Romans 7, I don't do what I want to do, and I find myself doing what I don't want to do, and I find that struggle in my heart. What's the key? He says, it's walking in the Spirit that you should not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Follow the guidance of the Holy Spirit. These two things are mutually dependent upon one another. Pray in the Spirit is a Spirit-guided journey. Now let's look back at Romans 8. Beautiful truth here about this Spirit-guided journey. Perhaps when you think of Romans 8, immediately you think of Romans 8, 28. Well, I hope our view of Romans 8, 28 is never the same after today. This is such a key to praying in the Spirit. Verse 26. And remember this in the context of spirit versus flesh. In our hearts, it's by the Holy Spirit that we know that we are children of God. All of these wonderful things are being said up to this point. And verse 26 says, Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. So it says when, when I get to a point I don't know what to ask for as I should, the Holy Spirit takes up in that relationship and he, he intercedes for us with words that cannot be uttered. It's a beautiful picture of the fact that wordless prayers are not worthless prayers. And he intercedes in keeping with the will of God. The Scripture here is saying, who but the Holy Spirit would know what the will of God is? Who but the Holy Spirit, as God Himself, God the Spirit, who apart from Him and, and the Son and the Father would know what the will of the Father is? And so He, he takes us on this Spirit-guided journey, and, and when we don't know what to pray for as we ought to, the Holy Spirit intercedes for us with groanings that cannot be uttered, and He intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good, to those who love God and those who are called according to His purpose. Why are they going to all work together for good? It, it, is that just saying it's all going to work out, chill, it's fine? No. Saying, no, the Holy Spirit is guiding you. This is a Spirit-guided journey toward the, the mind, the heart, and the will of God that you're on. And as you pray in the Spirit and the Spirit is praying in you and interceding for you, he is praying the very will of God, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to His purpose. Isn't that a great picture? For whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. He's saying, 
You, you were predestined as a people. When you come into the family of God, you have a predetermined, predestined destination, and that's likeness to his son. He, he wants to take his people that come to him in Christ, those he, he has looked through history and seen that would come, and he has predestined a purpose for that people, and that's to conform you to the image of Christ, and praying in the Spirit is a part of that. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things if God is for us? Who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. So here's where you're living your life if you're praying in the Spirit and you're living in the name of Jesus, praying in the name of Jesus. If that's your whole focus, you're, you're living right, right between the intercession of the Holy Spirit and the intercession of Jesus Christ. Can you think of two better prayer partners? Can you think of, of two better people to represent you before the Father? The Holy Spirit's interceding with groanings that cannot be uttered, and all things are working together for good. And then on the other side, who can bring a charge against God's elect? For it is Christ who is standing before the Father, interceding for us. Any wonder why Romans 8, 28 is true? It's not true because it's all going to work out. It's true because the, the triune Godhead is covering me, empowering me, guiding me, pulling my life toward this completion of God's determined purpose. And it's a beautiful spirit-led journey through life. And I can pray in the spirit and get in the very heart of all of God's activity in me and through me. I'm about to just jump and scream right now. Well, then finally, to pray in the Spirit is to immerse yourself into your love relationship with your heavenly Father. I'm going to tell you something today you may have forgotten. God loves you. Sure, He hates sin. Sure, I believe our nation is under God's judgment. I believe it would be hard to argue otherwise. I, I understand all of the mess, but in the midst of the mess, God loves you. And the outpouring of, of God's wrath has been lifted from you through the death of his precious son. And, and when you come to know his son and the Holy Spirit takes up residence in you, you are no longer a rebel, you are a child now. And you come before him crying out, Abba, Father. And there is a, a closeness available at that point. And when you pray in the Spirit, you are immersing yourself in that love relationship with your heavenly Father. If you turn to the book just prior to Revelation, the book of Jude, so if you get to Revelation 1, it's just right there. Jude, one chapter, 
verses 17 to 21. He's talking about false teachers, murmurers, complainers, walking according to their own lusts, people living in the flesh. But you, beloved, says in verse 17, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how they told you that there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own ungodly lusts. These are sensual, worldly persons who cause divisions not having the Spirit. They do not have the Holy Spirit. That is a key. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. You see the picture there? There's a group of people living around us who are under the wrath of God. It it says it there. They are living by these ungodly lusts because they do not have the Spirit of God. You will encounter them tomorrow in your day. Uh, you You will see them everywhere you go, and your heart ought to be filled with compassion. But no, there is a distinct dish. There is a distinction between a child of God and a child of the enemy and worldly lusts. And it says here, but building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God. How, how do I keep my, myself warm and, and vibrant in the love of God? Well, it says there, build yourself up in the most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. The way to be close to someone is to be close to them. Now, think about what I said. The way to be close to someone is to be close to someone. You see, on a weekly basis, sometimes on a daily basis, we FaceTime with our grandkids. And um, sometimes our children are just chasing them around the room with their iPhone, and we're watching them chase their kids and pay for their raising. And sometimes we connect, but a couple of weeks ago, we were in the home with, with Josiah when Micah was being born, and, and now we're close because we're close. And it, it wasn't just Grumps, it was grumps. And to be close to someone, you got to be close to them. That's what he's saying here. Amidst all the false teaching, amidst all the murmuring and complaining and all the junk of false teaching and false everything, you build yourself up in your holy faith praying in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, and immersing yourself in the love of God. Do you recognize we live in a loveless world? And it will beat you down. 
Therefore, you need time in the presence of God who loves you unconditionally through the precious sacrifice of Jesus. And you need to build up your most holy faith. You need to to pray in the Holy Spirit, immerse yourself in the love of God, and look forward to the mercy of God when he takes you out of this place into his eternal presence. You see, your intimacy with God will be intensified and strengthened with the battle. The battle's necessary. But the Holy Spirit is present. A young person saw a caterpillar trying to come out of its cocoon. But when it comes out, we know it's not going to be what it was. It's going to be a beautiful butterfly. This young person noticed the cocoon moving and and struggling and and decided to short-circuit the process and help the butterfly out. And so they got a razor blade and they, they weakened the wall of the cocoon, which in a sense helped to free the butterfly. But it didn't fly, it died. They asked their parent, why did that happen? And the parent said, The butterfly needed the struggle to gain strength to fly. And I know many of us would like to hit fast forward or like to skip the song that your life is on right now. The reality is you need that struggle because it's in the, the strain of the struggle that you're strengthened by His love and His mercy. And your faith becomes what it needs to be. And praying in the Spirit fuels your faith. Praying in the Spirit fine-tunes your focus in the midst of the battle. It, it, It immerses you into that love relationship you have with God because it's there that you find a sense of well-being and purpose and guidance that God guides you through life in. And so the question today is not, do you have problems and struggles? We all do. The question is, is your heart set on knowing God and pleasing Him? And if that's the heart of your life, and you're walking in the Spirit, and you're praying in the Spirit, and the Spirit is praying in you, He's going to bring you through into a glorious display of His power and His presence. That's what it means to pray in the Spirit. We would like to thank you for joining us for this message from First Baptist Church in Crockett, Texas. First Baptist desires to be a house of prayer with a heart for people, making a difference by making disciples from our neighborhood to the nation's. If you would like more information about this ministry, please visit www.firstcrockett.org. Until next time, may God's blessings be upon you.